Hello, everyone. You're listening to Angel Nears, the podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders where experienced operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to build and scale startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Pri Kolari, an accomplished design leader who has held positions at eBay, Motorola Mobility, Google, and Microsoft. Today, Pri enables numerous startups to achieve rapid, human-centered product market fit and build dynamic design organizations, processes, and systems. Today, we're discussing with Pri how to create a durable moat with product design. Before we get into that, Pri, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Oleg. Pleasure to be here. Really excited to talk. To get us started, why don't you tell myself and the audience a little bit about yourself and maybe something about your experiences in tech? Sure. So I have a very deep background in fine arts, engineering, and design. So this is kind of a cross-functional ability that I bring to design leadership and have a track record of going from zero to one and one to N in various companies that you mentioned earlier. My speciality is really about bringing product strategy, quality products, and innovative design cultures, and bringing that to really large companies as well as very small companies. Because ultimately, I want to make better products. I want to see better products. And we all need to live a really, really beautiful life. Can you just tell us a little bit more about some of the products that you've worked on, maybe some of the ones you're most proud of? Sure, sure. So most recently, I worked at eBay and I led eBay on the buying side as well as the new product development side. And we worked on a lot of really interesting innovations that you see inside of eBay. I've also worked on some of the innovations on the mobile phone side. Uh, You might have heard of something called the Moto X and the Moto G, which really changed what mobile phones could do with multiple processors inside of it. I was also lucky to be part of the incubation of Xbox Connect. So small team that then took it from a concept all the way to roadmap. Yeah, I think I got to say thank you for uh, putting together Xbox Connect. I think I was definitely a user on that one. Lovely, lovely. I like to hear that. Yeah, Uh, But whether it's hardware or software innovation, design has this power to make even the most complicated technology usable, useful, and delightful. You have a lot of experience when it comes to designing product. What does it take to create a well-designed product? So good design is really a mix of beauty, simplicity, and efficiency. Now, it takes all of the three and a balance of all of the three to make it really work. And it takes a lot of technical know-how, if you may. First, it starts with empathy. It's about understanding customers' behaviors, aspirations, articulated as well as unarticulated, right? It's about bringing this understanding about humans and business and bringing it together into the tech side of things because I work mostly in the tech side of things, right? So let me tell you a a little bit of a story when it comes to uh, making products, right? So when Google had bought Motorola, this was 
a few years ago. And we used to have these smartphones and pretty much all of the smartphones had an LED on the top and it would blink. Do you remember that? Uh, I think I had it on my Blackberry, yeah. a little red kind of light. Okay, you, you were very young at that time, but like, obviously at that time, anytime you got an email, you got that light to blink. Anytime you got a friend request, you got this light to blink, right? And it didn't tell you anything. It just blinked. So what we saw was that people were picking up the phone a good bit. Like today, they pick up a phone a lot. So the CEO comes to me and says, hey, you know, you're, you're working on this notifications thing. Just let's 10x it, right? And I'm scratching my head and thinking, what do I do? How do we do 10x of anything, right? And we went to the user. We started observing. So my team, which had anthropologists and designers, we all ended up going and looking at what people are actually doing. So we observed the user in their homes. We started looking at the analytics, the data, and triangulated all of those interesting things. Can you guess why, the like the top reason why somebody picked up the phone, even today? Gotta be to check Twitter. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really to check the time because, you know, so few of us, right? So few of us wear a watch anymore. So it's just to check the time. And so we came back to the larger team and said, you know what? It's information that people care about, not notifications, right? And information, not notification, became the mantra for all of us to be creative. And yeah, I mean, that's counterintuitive to, to what your boss was asking you with the 10X, right? Absolutely. But that's exactly the value that design adds, which is let's take a problem, let's break it apart, and let's start looking at it from a new creative view, right? And so, so what ended up happening is that we started looking at all of our competition. We started looking at what's available from a tech standpoint. We went to some of the companies that we worked with and built a system, a low power processor that would show you know only would light up only some this part of the display and shipped what was called the always on display on the Motorola phone on Moto X and that became pretty much the standard for the mobile industry now you know if you go see the Pixel 4 as well it's the same story right you have the always on display and now 2 billion phones have that kind of interaction. And I'm super proud of the team for coming up with some of those kinds of innovations. So that's kind of awesome. Like you, you had the opportunity to do some real user research to sort of dive into the problem. I'm wondering kind of what your, your favorite or maybe key takeaway from that moment was, you know, were you able to keep doing that throughout your career? Is it something you went back to? What did you learn from that? Yeah, one of the biggest learnings was really to simplify the problem. So the toughest part for me as a designer is looking at the landscape, the landscape of where the problem exists, and then simplifying it down so that 
all of us can put our creative energies towards one thing, solving one thing in an amazingly delightful way. Delightful. That's the that's the key word. Uh, who uses that? I don't know. Uh, I think a lot of designers like to use the word delightful because delightful is, it, it, it's really, I think, important. Yeah, delightful ties together those three ideas you mentioned at the beginning, the beauty, the simplicity, and the, the efficiency. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that the, when, when people have come in with an expectation and when we as product designers beat that expectation, people are delighted. And first we need to understand what the expectation is. Then we need to understand things that people don't even know they want. Right. And that's when we can delight them. Interesting. So, you know, products, they have to, to solve problems. And in order to solve problems, it's, it's important to break those problems down to their, to their core. But then delivering that solution, I think you could call that sort of user experience. So my next question is about user experience. What's required for a superior user experience and how do you kind of create that? Yeah, it's, it's similar to what we talked about a little earlier. It's really about understanding what people need, you know, how they think, what they do, and what are the things that they don't even know that they need, right? It's about connecting people's dreams and aspirations with a solution that adds value. Yep. And ultimately, I think UX is, is really about prototyping and making. It's about trying out many kinds of things that then we can figure out if it resonates with our users. Yeah, because it's going to be hard to create a simple, elegant solution on the, on the first go. So you kind of got to do something. Is that what you've experienced? Absolutely. As in like one thing I know of good design is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of failures. You know, I can sit here and talk to you about a few things that you can recognize, but there's really a lot of failures where, you know, it didn't go anywhere. And that's okay. Can you talk more about that? That's so interesting because, you know, we're sort of in the in the Bay Area and the Silicon Valley. We're like obsessed with success. Can you just talk more about like failures and what that what those mean? Sure. Ultimately, I think, you know, we are all obsessed with success and success. Like winning is a good thing. Okay. Tell me one person who says like, no, I don't want to win. Right. However, winning requires a lot of practice and Practice comes by doing things multiple times. Practice or mastery, you know, from a design perspective, we're always thinking about like well-crafted products. That means like people who are working in the design space are continuously learning. They're uh, trying to become masters at their craft. And that means They've done a whole lot of things that didn't go anywhere. You know, they worked as an apprentice. They've observed other people do an amazing job. And all of those things add to the add to this uh, effect of creating success. Ultimately, we do want to create success. However, getting there means there is a lot of failure on the way. So with that in mind, how do you how do you create a design process? that 
allows the team to practice, that allows the team to fail? You know, what are the, what are the key ingredients uh, when it comes to you know creating design processes? Sure, I'm I'm not a big believer in like a strict process. You know, there's mm. always one kind of a process that comes from the Stanford Design School or some consultancy. There's always all mm-hmm. of those kinds of things. But roughly speaking, it follows a pattern, a pattern of empathy, play, and make. And I'll break it down, okay? So okay. empathy is about understanding the problem space. It is about learning from the users. It's about learning from the business requirements. It's about understanding the success metrics for the business, Mm -hmm. right? This is where the designers, the product folks, the developers, they are able to really clarify the problem. What are they solving for, okay? Number two is play. Play is an open-ended exploration and collaboration across all of the disciplines. And what it does do is create elegant solutions that nobody as single person imagined. And there's a lot of co-creation here, co-creation with users as well as co-creation within the team that bring play into amazing products. The last part is make. Make is very much coming from design 100 years ago, which is prototyping, trying things out. It's it's the classic engineering feedback loop, right? And it's about wondering and figuring out if the product, the service will work with the customers. So it, it's, it's simply three different parts and three different parts, not necessarily in a linear way. It's empathy, play and make. That's really interesting. And, and a little more uh, a little playful. is <laughs> That's the word that comes to mind. I wish it wasn't right there in, in what we're talking about. But yeah, this, these are kind of qualities that are almost fun. Not exactly the, the technical requirements that are typically on a, a job description. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of just play. Most of my teams, they understand this because this is, you know, when, when, you, have, when, you, when you play and you bring joy to work, uh, you take away that same joy uh, in your uh, bigger life. So it's all good. Yeah. So with that in mind and, and thinking of building teams, how do you how do you hire for these kind of qualifications? What are the different skills that you're looking for when, when you're looking at building someone or, or maybe not yeah. training someone rather to be a good designer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the core is a designer is a maker. A designer is somebody who believes in a more positive world. Okay. And then you can have a lot of skills or specialities that I could break it down to, uh, starting from user research, interaction design, product design, visual design, prototyping, content design, front-end development, you know, program management inside of design as well. And all of these different skill sets 
create a team. Sometimes you get like two or three skill sets in one person, but sometimes it's very different skill sets, which is why you have to, what I do is I really think through what the best team is for the purpose or the intention that we have. So to give you an example, startups usually are in the zero to one space or innovation team is in the zero to one space, right? And this is where you will see a pattern that is the CEO or the leadership inside of a startup has to be super in touch with what good design is and they need to care, right? And then if they start thinking about making things that are simple, better, beautiful, and efficient, then we have a leg up. Then the first designer who joins the team already has a framework to think around, okay? That's zero to one. As you get to scaling the product, we have product market fit. Now we're try, trying to scale the product one to N. Then it becomes a different approach. You're hiring product designers. You're hiring researchers. You're hiring visual designers, right? You're hiring all these different kinds of people that put together a team. And some of their skill sets, like us, explained to you before are very different. There can be a, a very creative visual design person who can crank out beautiful objects and then matching them up with somebody who is design architect, if you may, who can think about interface in a, a very user-centric way then that team becomes super strong. So I always think of it as building a team. So I, I definitely want to get to the team and, and all the different pieces that go into a successful design team. I do want to say, like, our, I, I do. I think our listeners are typically, you know, early stage startup right. people, um, maybe even CEOs themselves. So can you give a bit of advice to the young CEO who is, likes design, who likes simplicity, who's a strong design CEO that is making that first hire? Like, what should they be looking for when you're initially starting a design team? Yeah, that's a very good question. So when the CEO is starting to look at making the first few hires from a design perspective, they have a lot of constraints to begin with, right? Like they have to be shipping continuously. They have money that they're seeing in the bank that's like, not looking so good. There are many, many of these kinds of things that are happening. First, the CEO has to really care about design, has to care about making sure that they dot the I's, cross the T's, pay attention to the details. Okay. And the second part is the CEO has to have a good sense of where they want to take the product to what good design would look like, which means what does beauty look like? What does simplicity look like, right? What does efficiency look like? So to give you an example here, right? You can start to say, hey, you know, 
we're we're doing a video conference today and what does that mean to have a seamless conference experience where you come from your calendar invite to to the video call and then during the video call you want to take your dog for a walk and then you move to a mobile phone right what does that seamless experience look like from an efficiency standpoint nobody is doing it really well at this moment but we're going to get there because we're still starting off with the with the online video experience uh, perspective right and so that's the kind of thinking that the ceo has to have then it comes to hiring because then you know who you want to hire do you want to hire somebody with a strong ux skill or do you want to hire somebody with a strong visual skill or do you want to hire somebody with a strong design research skill right all of them will give you different kinds of things and you it's very very hard to find one person who's really good at all of them yeah and what what i advise people is to start to look at uh, ask people directly ask people like hey you know what's your superpower and people explain to them what they think of and then you also pay attention to how they explain the user experience most of the people who are good at the ux side of things explain with a connector because so they'll give you an interface idea and then they'll add because of this right so and immediately can catch on to that and when you look at a visual design person one they will show you beautiful things but the second part is they will talk about inspiration they'll talk about all of these different places where they can think of ideas right and on the other side you start to look at somebody who's a research person you can see that they're super passionate about the pain points from a user standpoint they're extremely good at understanding patterns of behaviors and then translating it into an idea or a product need right and so that's what i would focus on does that make sense Yeah, yeah, that was great. So along the lines of user research, let's unpack that. I think it's the most important place to start when it comes to designing product. Why is it important to do user research and what's the right way to do it? I think is super passionate about this space. User research really helps understand people why they do something, what they want to do, what is the job to be done. You know, what are people's motivations? what are people's aspirations what are their dreams what are their fears what are their anxieties right so getting a good sense of both the positive motivations and the negative motiva- motivations help us as product designers design a product that adds value okay now with research i like to break it up into three parts I like to break it up as generative, iterative and evaluative research, okay? Generative research number 1 is about understanding latent needs. It's about understanding behaviors. It's really helps the product definition itself. 
It helps the feature prioritization. It helps product design mostly in the zero to one, but also in the one to n when you have to make calls on which trajectory to go, okay? Iterative research is about quick feedback. It helps you remove some of the top 80% of the problems with just 20% effort. And there are well written about studies like right studies that fall in this category. Right stands for rapid iterative test and evaluation. And the feedback helps make the design better. So during the prototyping phase, we can go back and forth with users and make a better design. The third part, which is evaluative, is about gathering feedback to make sure that the metrics that we started off going after, are we there yet, right? It also helps us get all the usability problems fixed so that there aren't these small little nags that bring the whole delight factor down for the product. So ultimately, I think design research is about generative, evaluative, and iterative. And depending on the phase at which we are with respect to the product, we can use the right one. Yeah, that's an awesome framework and a, and a great way to think about sort of divvying up or, or bucketing user research. Thank you. I'll, uh, I think that's going to inform some of my uh, product work later today. Awesome. Yeah. So next question, have you noticed, uh, is there like a typical background that people have who tend to do well in design? Have you noticed any kind of patterns there? You know, there aren't that many of the patterns in that space. Ultimately, I think the pattern is curiosity and learning. Okay. Anybody who is extremely curious and is continuously learning makes a good designer. Okay. Because then it's all about skills. The first step is, is about mindset. Skills you can learn, right? You can put anybody who has the mindset to be a good programmer to learn certain languages and they can be pretty good at it, right? And so that's what we're doing from a design perspective. And you can teach people a lot of the different skills. That's really interesting. Next, uh, let's look at the difference between interaction design and product design. Yeah, what's the what's yeah. the difference there between interactions and products? You know, I'll put a few of these things into one bucket so it's easier to explain for me as well. So there is interaction design, there's product design, and there's visual, like UI design. So interaction design is also called UX design. So there are some people who call themselves UX designers, some people who call themselves UI designers, and then there's some people who call themselves product designers. And it's a little bit of a Venn diagram, if you may. So product designers help build the product itself, which means they understand user needs. And so they're doing partly some of the work that a good researcher would do then they are able to translate that into a product, a product where we can start to go into like, what is useful? What is 
usable and what is desirable, right? And then they're able to push the pixels and get the visual design to be pretty good, right? And so what I'm explaining is a person who is good at multiple skills and is a jack of all, if you may, right? Would I say if they're master of none? Not really. What they are good at is adding value and making sure that the value of the product resonates with the need from a user's perspective. Interaction design, on the other hand, is a lot about figuring out the job to be done from a user perspective and thinking hard about the most efficient and elegant way that the user can go through the whole flow. And so they're not thinking about one page, they're thinking about multiple pages or they're thinking about multiple interactions, sometimes interactions across multiple days, right? And good interaction designers are always thinking end to end and they're thinking about the best way to move people through the funnel that we all go through. Visual design is the third part, which is about the aesthetic of the product. Making things beautiful, thinking through the color, thinking through the grid, thinking through the typography, the layout, the icons, the branding, and just the visual expression that is consistent across the product is the job of the visual designers, right? And designers, visual designers tend to have a fine art, graphic design kind of background versus interaction designers tend to have a HCI kind of a background. And researchers either have a HCI or an anthropology, a psychology kind of a background. So these people all come from different kinds of background, but ultimately they're all trying to make a better product. And it sounds like the jobs are, are pretty close, but, but, but with some key differences. Absolutely. Maybe I can run through it and uh, you can tell me if I, if I got it kind of correctly. So the product designer really has to think about the, the problems that the user is going to encounter and tries to add value where they can. Whereas the interaction designer, the problem and solution, we might have already figured out and designed end-to-end -end that, how that looks, but they need to come up with how it actually fits into a workflow and then the visual designer is trying to sort of optimize almost optimize the work of the interactions designer saying you know when we're on this page it should look like this it should lead the user here or not there yeah did i get that uh, kind of correctly is there anything you'd like to add let me add to this a little bit because i i don't know if i would use the word optimization in that space uh, that much okay because of optimization to me sounds like efficiency so let me reword it a little bit so product designers motivation is to make a better product a product that really works well for the user okay so it is a very useful product okay interaction designer 
it's their job is to make sure that the flow, the end-to-end -end flow is the most efficient and most usable. The visual designer or the UI designer is thinking through the user interface elements to be most beautiful and delightful for the user. Okay, thanks for doing that. I think that made a lot of sense. Next, we're gonna keep talking about hiring and in the case of design and user interface professionals, When's the right time to bring these people on board and, and which positions should you look for? Yeah, it's a very good question. It, there's never a right answer for this. It really depends. It depends on the product and depends on the company, right? I have seen billion-dollar companies with very little design, right? And then I've seen very small companies that's mostly design folks, and the reasons are really simple. It depends on the expectation and the market that we are in. Okay. So if we are, let's imagine that we are in a, where it's a tech product and it's a B2B kind of a product. It's an enterprise product, right? So when we think about enterprise in today's world, the trend that we're getting to is that we are getting to really well-designed enterprise products. At one point of time, there were hardly any designers that worked on enterprise products. It didn't matter. It was just engineers who worked together and said, hey, does this look okay? Let's ship it, right? We've crossed a point where the expectations of the users in the enterprise is to see a beautiful, simple, efficient product. And how do we get there? We can get there by bringing good design early. And good design early means now the CEO participates in hiring a small agency or a few part-time designers, right? And then we go into a place where they can actually hire the first product designer, somebody who's able to go through a little bit of design research, a little bit of user experience design and visual design, and is able to apply some of the visual frameworks that are already out there, right? And that starts creating an MVP that is Again, beautiful, simple, and efficient. We are also starting to see a space where people like myself who have experience in the design field are starting to help some of the startups, right? And spending an hour with a startup every week is enough for the startup to gain an advantage from a UX standpoint, right? The the next step is to start to build out the team. Building out the team means hiring the product designer, the visual designer, and the researcher. Ultimately, I think where the startup, once you get to the BEC round kind of a space, gets to is one designer to one product manager. 
And then you actually have a designer that's dedicated to a product who owns the product and is able to take it all the way. So I, I want to get to hiring here and hiring for design. Uh, and we'll talk ratios in a second. But I want to start with this. As the founder of a startup, if I don't have all the resources to hire, say, four different designers for all these areas that we've talked about, mm-hmm. Should you should you look for a, a, a jack of all trades or should you look for a specialist and then to sort of fill out with more specialists down the line? What, what's the approach? Yeah, there? You're, you, that's a very good question. What I've seen is this. There are some designers who are very comfortable with chaos and are very comfortable stretching themselves across multiple disciplines. Okay. And those designers would help companies go from zero to one. And most of the time, unless those designers learn quickly and switch to the new method, you will end up having to hire a whole set, new set of designers. However, this first set of designers has to be somebody who's more of a product designer, somebody who's able to bring various skills together. Okay. And then they can grow the team if they want to, if they learn those spaces. But I would hone down on people who are good at understanding user need and translating it into product. I would hone down on people who have done you know, quick prototypes, people who, have, who can show you with their portfolio work where they have tried out many different kinds of things from a design perspective. And that'll give you a person who is willing to go along the startup journey, really, because the journey has ups and downs. Yeah, that's that is for sure. When we're talking about hiring designers, what's a reasonable ratio of designers to engineers to hire? Designers to engineers is uh, is a hard question. Like sometimes it is generally as it's kind of agreed upon that about 10 engineers for one product manager is is good. What I would say is like, you would want to have one designer for one product manager. And the most successful companies I've seen have ended up doing exactly that, which is having quads or having triads where there is an engineer, a designer and a product person together. And a dedicated product person and a dedicated designer tend to do their best work for that particular product area. And so I would focus in on like one designer for a product manager. So that's pretty different from like the industry standard of one designer for 10 engineers you just mentioned, right? That that would be more like one to one. To one. It's like little teams of three. Is that what you're saying? No, uh, it usually is. a. Uh, so I, I don't think I explained it right. So um, with engineers, there is one engineering team with a leader for an engineering side of things. And that engineering leader would triad with a product manager and a designer. I see. I see. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I was kind of curious, like, yes. oh, it's one engineer. How are you? How no, are you getting I, I still done? think it's it's the right way to go about it is one designer to ten engineers. And then, how about mixing junior and senior people? How how what's the right mix? How many senior people do you need? How many junior people do you need when you're assembling a team like this? Especially with the 
monetary constraints that companies use. Absolutely. I think that's a real concern. So starting with junior design folks is, is a good way to go about it. Junior design folks also have varied skills. They bring in new skills. They are makers. They jump right in and are able to churn out some amazing work. And so that's where we have to start. There are certain places where the wisdom of a senior person is super important. That's where fractional designer comes in, right? Which is about getting design advisors on board, right? People who could be on your board or are advisors that spend time with your team. So somebody who spends an hour a week and has experience having shipped multiple products is able to quickly guide a junior designer to the winning spot. And then the junior designer also has this continuous learning kind of possibility because they have a mentor, a person who they can learn from. So it's a win-win. So with all this talk of design, how, how do you make your company kind of attractive to good designers? Oh, that's, uh, that's easily said and said than done, you know. But really design are people on the design side of things, care a lot about a few things. Um, I could break it down to three Cs. The first one is culture. It's really a creative learning culture that they're attracted towards. Okay. The second one is content, as in like, what are we really solving for? Is the problem meaningful? Meaningful to them, right? As well as meaningful to the world. They have to be able to Tell a good story about the work that they do to their friends. Is that a possibility? Right? Then the third C is really the, the CEO and the leadership. You know, do they care about the details? Do they have the charisma to take this product and talk about the vision of the product to the designer? And that's, that's what will bring the designer into the fold. You know, there's obviously other things like, you know, how much they get paid and things like that, but those are table stakes, really. What attracts people to companies are good leadership, meaningful problems, and a learning creative culture. Well said. I mean, that was a tough question to answer. Solve the big problem on the podcast. Absolutely. I think this is, uh, you know, all of these things is all about learning as in like you and I were, we're discussing these things, we can break it down. However, every day we're experimenting and learning these things, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the iteration is like, you can't, <laughs> can't get away from it. That's kind of what we're kind of what we're doing here. Totally. So last question here, and I love the learning approach. Maybe it'll be part of this answer. Last question, how does the product design contribute to creating what's called a durable moat? Yeah. So this is a very, very good question. When we think about business, when we think about technology, all of those things have created moats up until now in terms of history. What we see in today's trends is that 
good experience, good user experience, things that delight people, people are attracted to, right? And I can give you examples from Airbnb to Apple, when you look at products and services that you can just think about and you start to wonder, why am I using that more and more? Why am I attracted to that particular brand? It generally is how that brand made you feel. And when you think about how they made you feel, there is some designer sitting in the back thinking through how this product has to make this person feel. And the designer is really creating the stage, the scaffold for you to experience this amazing product in a delightful way. And doing that takes a lot of effort. Doing that takes a lot of science, a lot of data, a lot of craft and practice and trying failures, failures, and then success, right? And bringing it all together is the job of a good designer. And a good designer, I will say, doesn't necessarily have to be a person who has learned design in college. It is just a person who cares about how the user experience really feels and cares to learn from the users and translate it into good product and really cares to make things that are beautiful, really cares to make things that are simple, really cares to make things that are efficient for the user. Well, I think that ties it all together. I think that was really well said. Before we get out of here, Pri, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you? Oh, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter as well at Pri. I don't check it as much. Uh, we'll be sure to attach the uh, a bi- uh, link in the bio, or at least the name. Listeners should be able to find you. Lovely. Okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna end it there. If you liked our show, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating. Thanks, Pre, for joining the show today. I really appreciate you sharing your time and your thoughts. Thank you. It's been so much fun.